0: This is Echo Zoe Radio, Episode 50, for June 2012, with guest Ryan Habana, Examining Tongues, Part 2. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio. I'm your host, Andy Olson, proprietor of EchoZoe.com. Thanks for listening. This is episode 50 for June 2012. Back in December with episode 44, I had Ryan Habana on to talk about the investigation he had done into the phenomenon of speaking in tongues as recorded in the book of Acts. This month, Ryan is back to follow up with part two of that discussion, this time focusing on Paul's writing on tongues in 1 Corinthians. The meat of these writings was in chapter 14, but Ryan takes us through chapters 12 and 13 as well, as they are very important to setting the context of chapter 14. If you'd like to know what you can do to support Echo Zoe, please check out echozoe.com support. There are several things listed there that you can do to help Echo Zoe, such as prayer, recommending the podcast and website to friends, or using our affiliate links when shopping online. In fact, one very simple way you can help Echo Zoe financially is that if you already shop on Amazon, just go to EchoZoe.com slash Amazon to do your shopping. That will forward you to Amazon with our affiliate link. Everything else will be the same to you, but we will receive a commission on everything you purchase at no extra cost to you. You can find show notes for this episode at EchoZoe.com 50. There you'll find an outline of the discussion, additional resources, and scriptures referenced, as well as links to get connected to Echo Zoe on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. You'll also find a link to our email alert system, where you can sign up to get an email every time a new episode is posted. With that said, here's my discussion on 1 Corinthians with Ryan Habana. Welcome back, Ryan. Good to be back again. Now, this month, we are going to pick up part two of our tongues talk that we started back in December. Remember back, episode 44, echozoe.com slash 44, if you didn't hear it. I strongly urge people go back and listen to that one first, because we're going to to pick up where we left off on that. Got an interesting take on, on the phenomenon of tongues, and we talked about the tongues in the book of Acts in December. Now we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians, uh, specifically 14, but 12 through 14.
1: Yeah, and let's just kind of recap where we were throughout uh, the book of Acts, because really the, the truth of the matter is, is the phenomenon of tongue speaking is only in a couple places in the Bible. You really see it in, in Acts and in 1 Corinthians. Now, there's debate about the end of Mark, about whether that is part of the original text. Even if it is, it, it wouldn't fall out of line with what we're, we're talking about here. But mm-hmm. the primary places where tongue speaking as a phenomenon and as a practice, we only see it in Acts and 1 Corinthians. So we need to pay particular attention to the respective contexts and note where there is continuity between the contexts and the definitions and where there are di- where there's discontinuity. So you really need to read both of these with a discerning eye paying attention to the context and the flow of Luke and in Luke Acts and then the flow of of Paul's thinking in in 1 Corinthians now in in Acts uh, we see Luke has chronicled the the inception of of the gospel going forth to all the nations and we noted that there were really two Old Testament prophecies that were at the background of this Phenomenon of tongue speaking, and one is the issue of Joel chapter two, which there's the proclamation that in the last days he's going to pour out a spirit on all flesh, and and in Luke it really stresses the issue of prophecy there, and we saw that what was going on in Acts was the fulfillment of Joel two, that it was really an issue of of, of class. All were, were given the ability to prophesy, even your 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 servants, male and female. And so we were—we recall seeing these lowly Galileans were given this privilege of announcing the glories of salvation history coming to its culmination in the person and work of Jesus. They were given this privilege, and so they were prophesying. And we define really prophesying as proclaiming the mighty works of God throughout history, culminating with the message of Jesus of Nazareth and a call to repent and believe that it was prophesying in, in Acts, and that was a continued theme. Then we, we ran into some other aspects of, quote-unquote, tongue-speaking, and it did well for us to recall Isaiah 28, which was, um, uh, let me read it verbatim here, 28.11, for by a people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. So the prophecy was given to to the people of Israel that by people of strange lips, I will speak to this people. And we're going to see actually that very text quoted by Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, so we know this is significant in regards to tongue speaking, but it's also significant. It really undergirds a lot of Luke's theology because you see uh, the next time we read about tongue speaking in Acts is with Cornelius up near Caesarea, which would have been a military household. And so this gospel is spreading, and they were speaking in tongues or proclaiming the mighty works of God uh, in languages other than Hebrew. And uh, last time we looked at the dynamics of the reality that uh, Hebrew was the uh, holy tongue, uh, and at the uh, Feast of Pentecost, uh, the priests would have been proclaiming the liturgy in Hebrew, and thus these lowly Galileans coming forth, to announce the glories of salvation, in most likely Greek and Aramaic, would have been radical, and it really would have been a, a fulfillment of, of this speaking to this people through through foreign tongues. Even in Acts 10 with Cornelius' his household, we see that, again, they hear them proclaiming glory and mighty works of God in their in their own tongues. And so it's really something that continued throughout Acts, but still there's this movement that the, the Jewish people were not listening, but it was going to the Gentiles. Mm. Uh, and then finally, uh, we see Paul and his 12 disciples later on in Acts, where he lays hands on them and they begin speaking or proclaiming in tongues. Uh, and we see that in, in the context there, that was really a programmatic proclamation that they were going to be proclaiming the the good news, prophesying uh, throughout that land, and both Jew and Greek were, were going to hear the word of God. And so all of those dynamics were, were really pretty clear in Acts until we in, until we get to the culmination where uh, at the end of Acts, where Paul is still proclaiming the gospel to the Jews, and it's said very clearly they, they would not listen. And thus Paul continued with all boldness proclaiming the gospel. And That was another element of speaking in these, these other tongues is that they were enabled by God to speak with bold eloquence regarding Mm. the person and work of Christ as the culmination of of salvation history. So that's really what we saw thus far in the Book of Acts. So that was the particular context, and that's really a thumbnail sketch of what we went through last time.
0: Yeah. Now, it seems that when you look at Acts, and then you jump to 1 Corinthians, specifically 14 when it gets into uh, speaking in tongues and needing an interpreter, and what our modern ear hears, it seems like, given what you've said about Acts, that this is almost the opposite. How do you get around what's going on? This really seems like a otherworldly language kind of thing going on.
1: Well, the first thing is, is we need to pay attention to the context of First Corinthians. So we need to look at the flow of First Corinthians, especially 12 through 14, because 12 through 14 is a unified section in First Corinthians. So uh, as we go through the text, we're going to start with chapter 12 and work through. Fourteen, which is there, still are elements certainly about tongue speaking. Paul brings the issue up in twelve, and then there's mm-hmm. the the central issue of love that we see in chapter thirteen, and then he launches into instruction regarding Christian worship in chapter fourteen. So, again, what we need to do is we need to retrain our minds to start thinking through a first century context rather than a twentieth century context, because throughout the twentieth century we have really, I think as a an interpretive culture, redefined. And people, as we spoke of last time, on both ends of the spectrum, uh, whether you're a cessationist or whether you believe that tongues is babbling, both have kind of bought into this idea that either tongues is incoherent babbling, that the speaker doesn't know, or it's the speaking of a, a language, an actual language, but is unknown to the speaker. And I am going to contend that... Ev- Even what we read in chapter 14 itself, without even considering the the background context, which still is is necessary, that Paul precludes such a thing that was not going on. And there's one verse in particular that has been misread and, and even mistranslated because of how it's been misread, and we'll address those things when we get to it. So, as always, with good biblical interpretation, good biblical reading, we need to clothe ourselves with the first century context and try to take ourselves out of our 20th, 21st century concepts and ideas because if we read those into the text we're not going to take out the accurate meaning of the text so again, uh, what we'll do today like we did with Acts last time is really be careful to construct what Corinth was like and what glossa the the term tongue uh, meant and we can actually start that even right now, the term glossa mm-hmm. uh, tongue really was not used as a term for incoherent babbling now it has a range of meaning it could mean a, a, a physical tongue but it was also used as a metonymy to speak of languages and so it was a term that was simply used as uh, something that referred to a known human language and if we start with from there and just don't go beyond that we can start to ascertain okay well Really, what was going on here, and why is this significant? As I said, I may may have mentioned this last time, but after I kind of came to this uh, somewhat uh, revolution regarding the way I understand First Corinthians chapter fourteen, it went from a a text that was something that was more of a theological problem that I had to solve to something that was pertinent. To my life, and I needed to understand it and obey it. Mm-hmm. And we can, sh- I can actually share as we're going through this some instances over the last couple of months where the teaching of First Corinthians chapter fourteen was really front and center as far as instructions in how I was to do ministry in a context of various tongues. Mm-hmm. So we're in a good position to actually put the rubber to the to the road here, sure, to, to show where th- this is actually things that are very significant for the lives of Christians, because since the first century, the gospel has been going forth in diverse tongues. And the church, therefore, is made up of a group from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we are all brothers and sisters, but in another sense, we are foreigners. In fact, the the Greek term for anybody that didn't speak Greek in that time was a barbarian. Mm -hmm. And at one point in history, that was a very negative term, but it kind of just came up to a, a, a term where... It was something referring to a, a person that just didn't speak Greek. They were barbarians, they were foreigners, you couldn't communicate with them. So uh, all of those things were, were were very much understood in ancient contexts, and really it's not hard for us to understand that now. Mm-hmm. Y- you can walk into uh, so many different churches, and being someone that has ministered as an elder and, and pastor throughout the last 10 years, there's been many, 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 many contexts where there's been language barriers of people within the church. Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced that is the issue that Paul is speaking to here. So we'll want to ask and wrestle with the question, well, how is this a spiritual gift then? If this is something that was just learned, if you're speaking a language that is uh, either learned through natural means, either it's your mother tongue or something that you you learned uh, as a second or third language, how can that really be considered a spiritual gift? I think that'll be something significant that we'll want to wrestle with because a lot of people... Just think, spiritual gift equals something that's spectacular and can't be explained. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, it's easy for us to carry that to the text, and it, it'll blur the text and cause us problems if we just just accept that and take it to the text. So we're yeah. going to see here that Paul lists uh, some gifts that certainly have, you know, all spiritual gifts have a supernatural element to them, but not all spiritual gifts are spectacular Right, in the sense that our charismatic Christian culture has portrayed things mm-hmm. in, in over the last hundred years, mm-hmm.
0: Now, I know you wanted to get into the text and work our way through chapters twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. before we do though, I'd like to have you kind of in a more a little bit more detailed way, let's just set the cultural background of the city of Corinth and what was going on as far as uh you know, historical context.
1: Yeah, Corinth was a port city. In the northern part of the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. and uh, so first off, we uh, port cities are and were known to be you know, multicultural and multilingual, because that's a place where people were sailing in and out of, mm-hmm. and therefore people that would do business also, since it's a bi- you know, port cities are major business hubs because you can import and export. It certainly was a place where people would would not only visit, but dwell. So you would have very much a, a multilingual hotbed
0: mm-hmm. because
1: of the different cultures that are there. And, uh, I it's think kind of
0: like if New York city comes to mind when I,
1: yeah. And you know, again, New York is, is a port city,
0: obviously bigger, but yeah. And mm. you really
1: kind of go around the world and, and you see how uh, port cities, you know, are, are multilingual, multicultural mm-hmm. and Corinth was one of those cities. It was a very well-known city, a hub, in, in the in the ancient Mediterranean. And it bears noting that this is the only church that Paul addresses this issue of tongue speaking with. It's the Church of Corinth. So and, and it's fitting because Corinth would have been one of the primary cities because of its its position, that you would have multiple languages. Now that launches us into the issue of Glossa, you know, speaking in tongues. I'm going to be utilizing, uh, a, a, it's a standard translation, it's one that's, that's well-known, but I, the reason why I'm going to be using a particular one today is because I, the, the way they translate the terms helps minimize misunderstanding. Again, when you hear the term, that person's speaking in tongues, the, the first thing we think of is, oh, that person's babbling incoherently. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we think
0: of. Only God can understand. Yeah, and saying. only
1: God can understand them, or if someone has the, the gift of interpretation. Mm-hmm. The way the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates the, the term tongue is language. And it's not that tongue is a poor translation. It, the, the term tongue can be a good translation, but the way everyone now, even beyond the Christian culture, speaking in tongues is, is a common thing that's, that's understood in, in popular culture as well. So when speaking in languages or another language is a way that is closer to what the meaning was mm-hmm. uh, because we we know that's the, Paul's intent. Uh, glossa, in the sense of a known human language, uh, was how that term gl- you know glossa was used other than the physical organ of the tongue. Yeah. So prophecy is also at work here, just like it was in Acts. Yeah. So wh- wherever you see speaking in tongues, prophecy is always right there with it, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll wrestle with why that is, and, and I think we'll see with, with some clarity why that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But before we get there, we want to kind of catch up as far as the literary context. So we have the historical context we've, we've just painted in, in, a, in a general fashion. So certainly it would have been a multilingual hotbed, and Greek would have been the primary tongue or language mm-hmm. of the church at Corinth. Uh, one of the reasons that we know this is because the the letter sent to the church in Corinth was written in Greek. That is a good internal <laughs> uh, indicator that this was the primary language of those in uh, the church at Corinth. But we know from the d- other dynamics in the book of 1 of Corinthians that there were people that were speaking in other tongues or other languages in the midst of the time of, of, of gathered worship, uh, the congregational uh, practices that were going on. So that's really what Paul is going to address. But just jumping in at First Corinthians chapter fourteen is going to be problematic because you're not going to really get the thrust of Paul's purpose and intent unless you read uh, the whole section. Because First uh, Corinthians was a, a direct, really personal letter to a particular church that was having particular problems. So you see, at the beginning of, of 1st Corinthians, there is problems with factions within the church. So Paul mm-hmm. addresses that. Uh, then we run into issues of the church allowing, um, rampant immorality to go on without, uh, practicing church discipline. Uh, then Paul addresses the issues of, of marriage and divorce and, and the Lord's Supper. And finally, that causes us to arrive at this section of 1st Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. And this section is on the nature of spiritual gifts. And Paul's primary reason for writing this is to correct the misuse of speaking in other languages or speaking in tongues in the contents of the Corinthian church. So let, let's remember the historical context, what has happened. Initially, the people of God throughout the Old Testament were Primarily Israelites. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we, we, we go back and, and, you, and you have Noah, you have Enoch, you have Abel. Yes, certainly these were the people of God. But as far as the, the giving of the, the word of God, this came through the Israelites, starting with Moses and, and then continuing throughout uh, the, the, the Torah and, and the prophets and the writings. And primarily this was all given in Hebrew. Hebrew. But then we, again, we see this proclamation in Isaiah chapter 28 that he, through a, uh, a people of strange lips, he's going to speak to this people. So as the, the nation was exiled, we saw this even creeping in in, in Ezra and in Daniel, there were some Aramaic. By the time we got to the first century, a Hebrew... Was uh, was not a language that was really in use. It was in use in a liturgical sense in, in the synagogues, but it really wasn't a a common tongue of everyday discourse because Greek and Aramaic took that place mm-hmm. along with Latin because Latin was a was a military language. Mm-hmm. So again, to remind the the listeners of one of the primary evidences we saw of that was the uh, sign of the cross that Pilate had nailed above. He wrote in in Greek, in Aramaic, and in. And in Latin, this is the king of the Jews. So to ensure that all those that had gathered during that feast, those who spoke Aramaic, primarily those that were dwelling from, uh, you know, in in the land of Judea and eastward, then you have the Greek speaking, you know, Jews or those dwelling in in Jerusalem, which were uh, Greek speakers, and that would have been, you know, north and, and, and west Primarily, not yeah. that there wasn't pockets and other dynamics, and then you had Latin, which was the the military language, which uh, we know that there were obviously milit you know military personnel executing the the orders of Pilate at that time. Mm-hmm. So this is the King of the Jews. So we see that was the dynamic that we see tongues right there. It's a, it's a great demonstration of the gospel going forth to various tongues in that at that time and in that in that place where. Jesus purchased for himself a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. So we see that dynamic. Now we reach that the gospel has gone forth and spread throughout the, the region of Rome. And that is really what we saw chronicled in the book of Acts. And the gospel is going forth in languages other than Hebrew. Uh, those in the temples that were clinging to Hebrew, this, this was a sign to them that it was through a people of, of strange lips in a foreign tongue. He was speaking to this people. And they would not listen. So uh, tongues is a sign. It's a sign that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are prophesying, as we saw in Acts 2. So there's a a, a positive aspect to this sign. But there's also a negative in the sense it's a sign to unbelievers. And we'll see that announced uh, today. So that really culturally and historically kind of brings us up to speed of what's going on here. And again, uh, I want us to kind of recall uh, one of the matters we we looked at last time, in, in, when Jesus was commanding about the way we should pray, he says, "Do not go on go on babbling like the pagans, mm-hmm. who think they will be heard by their many words." And really, that instead, what he does is he teaches us how to pray. And it was a, really very much a, a pagan, babbling was something that would have been seen in the pagan temples, in the in the teachings of Jesus he has instructed us specifically how to pray and he gives us a prayer uh, a template of a godly prayer for the disciples of uh, of the king to pray in such a manner and it's intelligible uh, it's 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 reverent and it's it's to the point
0: because mm-hmm.
1: the issue of praying in tongues is also going to come up here and it, where where things are are misunderstood so that I think sufficiently paints the context, and unless you see something else that maybe should be addressed,
0: I no I don't. Um, so let's, let's take some time, given that backdrop, to uh, jump into the text here. It might be worth kind of advising the listener, if if possible, to to pause this and maybe go back and actually read twelve and thirteen. Uh, we'll get a little bit more in depth with fourteen, but we're going to hit the high points of twelve and thirteen here.
1: Yeah, I, I actually think reading twelve through twelve through fourteen, just reading it as a cohesive sure. whole, would will be helpful because you'll see that this is it, Paul is speaking of of something from the beginning of twelve to the to the end of, of fourteen. He he has a unified flow of thought, yeah. and it's important to understand that because this unified flow of thought is going to help us understand certain texts in chapter fourteen, mm-hmm. and and just a kind of a a, a caveat or a warning here is that it takes some time to get deprogrammed from viewing things from a contemporary perspective and this really is our task throughout for the whole bible Yeah, is you know in my almost 20 years as a believer now it's just been a, a constant journey of shedding reading my own thoughts and precepts into the text and and checking those at the door and going into the text and allowing the text to confront me through its original context and mm-hmm. and that that original context is bridged that two thousand year bridge is always bridged by the Holy Spirit to apply it to you, but the meaning doesn 't change mm-hmm. the meaning is fixed, and therefore, unless we really ascertain the meaning of the text as it was to its original audience we 're really not going to get the correct application mm-hmm. so let 's yeah let 's start with 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 chapter twelve here. Now it starts off with this this now concerning what comes from the spirit that now concerning is uh, is, is a transition which throughout the context of first corinthians it 's clear that paul is is responding to things that they wrote to him about, mm-hmm. and uh, this seems like this is probably one of them now concerning what comes from the spirit. Brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be let off, let off by I- idols that could not speak. Therefore, I'm informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, right there, we're we're talking about speaking,
0: mm-hmm.
1: proclamation, and indications are here that Jesus be cursed uh, would have been something that someone would have pronounced in, in a pagan temple to refute or to deny. Jesus. And so it's not just the, the uttering of a of, of those three words, because Paul writes them down, or someone who is reading reading this, reading just reading their Bible out loud, they say those words. Uh, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. So it's not just speaking of, of saying those words, but it's a proclamation that, that comes out of the heart. So this is saying no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God can proclaim from their heart that Jesus is cursed. In the same way, no one can speak Proclaim Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit and I, I think we do well to go back and remember Acts as the um, what, what was Peter proclaiming from the beginning uh, of Acts is that Jesus is Lord so proclaiming that is a proclamation of prophecy mm-hmm. and, and so that proclamation which begins in the, the heart and is confessed by the mouth cannot happen except by the Holy Spirit so we see that no one can proclaim uh, Jesus is Lord. Confess it, uh, except by the Holy Spirit. And, uh,
0: and we're already talking about something that to the outside observer doesn't look miraculous, but the scripture is telling us this is a miracle. Exactly.
1: But... This is, and we know it's a miracle because a, a dead sinner mm-hmm. um, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And not only that, if we look back and see what happened in Acts, this filling of, of the Holy Spirit to speak boldly and eloquently and powerfully regarding the the works of God in in history, culminating with Jesus of Nazareth, his cross, his resurrection, and the call to repent and believe to be saved. Uh, That is a miracle to see the Lord take dead sinners and turn them into his ambassadors. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, right from the beginning, we see that saying Jesus, Lord, is done by the Holy Spirit. This is what comes from the Holy Spirit. So, And let me get this out of the way from the beginning. I have come to the the position or the... uh, the conclusion upon reading the, the the text in its own context that speaking in tongues was a proclamation of the glories of of salvation and the proclamation of glories of the gospel in a known human tongue that the speaker no either was their could have been their mother tongue or one that they'd learned by no means do I say that there's not miraculous things going on there, supernatural things mm-hmm. going on there, or that he doesn't do spectacular miraculous things yeah uh, he he heals uh, miraculously. He has performed signs and, and and great wonders throughout history, and he's done it in the past, and he will do it again. So, uh, this isn't an, an anti-supernatural
0: thing at yeah. all. This has is... been six months since we did the previous one, but I remember distinctly we spelled that out pretty yeah. well. You know that we're we're not denying the, the miraculous at all. No, this I mean in, it,
1: in... it's just we we want to go where the text takes us, exactly. and we we even here see miraculous matters here. It just may not be as spectacular as certain people want us to th- yeah. think it is or, 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 or want speaking in tongues to be. So now we, we get into, uh, and I'm just going to summarize some of these matters, is uh, we, we have uh, th- really throughout the next several verses, we see the apostle declaring that um, there is there is one spirit who sovereignly allots to each a gift as he wills, or gifts, Mm -hmm. as he wills. And and so, poetically, he says there's different gifts, but the same spirit, different ministries, same Lord, different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. And then uh, seven is extremely important. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. So, that's very clear about the function of a spiritual gift. The gift is going to be demonstrated or brought into practice, it's given to each person to produce what is beneficial. And as we see here, he's active in all of these gifts, but it's for what's beneficial, and we'll see this for the other. Mm-hmm. All spiritual gifts is really for the service of love, and we'll see that very clearly in 13. Now, 13 is not about Paul giving a uh, a text to be read at, at, at weddings for the next <laughs> Twenty century or yeah twenty centuries it's it's about really Paul gives this because of the what was going on regarding tongue speaking in the corinthian church that 's why we got that passage and uh we'll see that that tongues are are, are the primary issue here because right away he says he, he gives lists and he gives uh that one has faith uh one has uh, Prophecy and other uh, distinguishing of spirits to another different kinds of languages to another interpretation of languages, and uh that languages there is glossa tongues I think we do well to speak of interpretation there as well interpretation that term interpretation was the term that was used of translation of translating from one language to another that's that's the the Greek term that would have been used mm-hmm. uh, if someone was going to be translating. Uh, something from Aramaic into Greek, it would be it would have been that Greek word there, inter- and, and it's it's considered a gift here, and we'll see uh, how that is considered a gift as we get to chapter fourteen. Now, in chap- in, in chapter uh, twelve verses uh, twenty through uh, t- really twenty through twenty six, the apostle wants them to understand that all are important within the church and the. Corinthians had the, the poisonous additive of pride, and it, that is a, 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 an aspect that can be seen throughout the epistle. And uh, we see here that right away he says, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, and that's in verse 13, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or three, all were made to drink of the one spirit. So people without distinction, and regardless of their tongue, uh, regardless of their status in society, were made to drink of the one spirit. And then we have this body of Christ. Uh, so he gives this analogy of a body, that every single part of the body is important, and mm. even the ones that seem to have lesser honor are actually at times um, parts which are, are are vital. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's the point that Paul makes. So this is all about spiritual gifts, mainly about what he's going to teach about regarding tongues.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, just a really quick comment. You just mentioned that the. Corinthians were deep into pride. And I, I've for years, I've always looked back. Someone I, want, I once heard uh, refer to Corinthians jokingly, or tongue-in-cheek, they refer to it as Californians, first and second Californians. Okay. <laughs> but that's always helped me with my understanding of Corinthians, yeah. what's going on, because you just look at like all the stuff that, that the church sees in the state of California yeah. that just turns our stomach. Right. All that same stuff was going on in Corinth. Yeah, and, and it helps me contextually, at least in its historical. Or just remind context. you, remind yeah.
1: you of the yeah of of the problem uh, that was going on not only in the problems in the city of Corn, because it's a major hub in the Roman, mm-hmm. it's obviously going to be a major hub of idolatry. Right, and idolatry in the uh, first century in ancient Rome brought with it all of the the uh, vices and the uh, the immorality. Yeah. That would have accompanied it. So Yeah, I think,
0: you know, San Francisco and, and Los Angeles especially. Yeah. But well, I mean, just a just a little kind of a helper if people yeah. are yeah, you know, maybe I'll help somebody else to hear that. Just, and, just think California when you think <laughs> Corinthians contextually at all.
1: And there are plenty of other cities we could plug in. <laughs> uh and and so in twenty eight we have this very interesting list that, that Paul gives then. First he says God has placed these uh in the church, first apostles, second prophets third, teachers, next, miracles, then gifts of healing, helping managing various kinds of languages. So note there, he puts various kinds of languages last, Mm -hmm. or that would be, uh, in in another translation, maybe various tongues. He puts that last, and I think he does that for a reason. I think the people in Corinth saw this. if, If you were able to speak in diverse languages, it was time to show that off. And obviously, as is the case throughout history, if you are well-educated and uh, you're you're highly thought of and and oftentimes part of the elite of society. And and therefore, because pride was such an issue in the Corinthian church, instead of thinking of the other, they were trying to, quote-unquote, edify themselves. Mm -hmm. And we'll see that when we get to 14. A lot of people see that as a positive thing. But if we're following Paul's flow of thought here if you get to a point and you're talking about building yourself up that's completely against what mm-hmm. paul has stated throughout these first or all well, these these two chapters 12 and 13 before we get to 14 so building what, yourself up usually involves
0: tearing others down in the process <laughs> yeah.
1: well and and actually that uh, is part of what's going on here is yeah and in the very least you're not building up the other right so if we look at uh, that, we, we see, and, and I want to kind of make a clarification here. Uh, we have first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Now, in, in 29, we read, are all apostles, apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers. And then, do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other languages? Do all interpret? Okay, first off, how does this fit into what we looked at in Acts, that uh, all in, under the New Covenant prophesy?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And here it says, are all prophets. And the the implicit answer Rhetoric, is no. Yeah. It's the rhetorical, the implicit answer is no it, it's helpful to remember that so often in the scriptures terms are used in a general sense and a, in a and also in a heightened elevated sense yep. uh we see that with apostle apostle can simply mean sent one anyone who's sent by the lord that's because that's what the term apostle means but that's not what's what he's talking about here he's talking yep. first apostle this is the, the heightened sense of apostle one that is is chosen and appointed like like paul like peter like like john the, the group that he that Jesus had chosen and put a seal upon. So we have that also with like the term deacon. That term in its general sense means servant. So every every Christian should be a servant in a general sense. But uh, there's also, a, a, in Paul's epistles, we see that there's an office in the church mm-hmm. called a deacon. So that's, it's a it's, it's, it's more specific elevated sense. And I think that's what's going on with prophet here, is there was also a, a group of people um, and this would have been understood through this context, as you have apostles and then prophets next, is the, the foundation of the faith was delivered through the apostles and prophets. Now, the, all apostles were prophets, in, even in that heightened sense, in that they were delivering the word of God in an, in an infallible way. They, they were right. God's spokespeople, yep. and their collective witness was, was unassailable, because it had the seal of, of Jesus upon it. Now, not all prophets were apostles, though. So the New Testament recognizes that there were ones that God had chose to inspire and to deliver his word in a way that is powerful and 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 that the Spirit put his seal upon it and made it binding, but they weren't numbered among the apostles. So all do indeed prophesy in the sense of the ability to proclaim the mighty works of God that we read in the once and for all scriptures that were given to us, but not all are prophets in the sense that I am given the ability to give you new revelation. Right. And so that is the, the distinction that I think is going on here. So I think that's important to note, the the mm. distinction here. But then we get to this, do all speak in other languages? Do all interpret? And again, uh, no. And this would be, do all speak in tongues? And again, the answer is, is no. And what's interesting is, uh, you know, uh, I want to be careful in how I word this, because this would be really easy to take it out of context. <laughs> but... Is speaking in tongues an evidence of salvation? Now, in the 20th century sense, no. Actually, because we would say uh, it, it never started. It, how could something that really never even started and had the seal of God upon it be uh, a, a, an unassailable evidence for one's salvation? And we know that is a, uh, is a common belief in charismatic and Pentecostal circles. Yeah. But if we look at it in the sense that speaking or proclaiming that Jesus is Lord— in a tongue other than Hebrew. Now, is that an evidence of salvation? Uh, well, out of Romans chapter 10, it says, with your tongue you confess that Jesus, your heart you believe, and with your tongue you confess that Jesus is Lord. So in, in a more narrow sense, yes, speaking or proclaiming the mighty works of God in a tongue other than Hebrew is an evidence of salvation because with your mouth you're proclaiming Jesus is Lord, and that is an evidence of salvation, which we saw, you know, uh, at the beginning of of twelve, right? of 12 here, yep. it's by the Spirit that we we proclaim Jesus as Lord. So, again, you start to see things through a, a real different you know worldview.
0: Yeah.
1: As you go through this, now do all interpret. So, there's diversity. Everyone has their place in uh, the body of Christ, and as we're going to see, we're going to see yes, speaking in diverse tongues has its place, and not only that, it's a good thing as long as it's properly done and mm-hmm. but before we get there he says but desire the greater gifts and paul um gives that that's important the greater gifts what are the greater gifts what would they have thought the greater gifts were would have been miracles healing and and that which would have been prominent speaking in tongues mm-hmm. sp- or speaking in other languages this this is you know again th- these would have been things that they would have seen as spectacular and it's the same way with the american church I shouldn't even say the American church. I should say the, the, the church at large, is most of the church is is smitten with the spectacular. Yeah. And let's go back to 28 before we launched to 13. Notice what Paul puts before various kinds of languages. Helping and managing. Now, when do you see someone come up to you and say, my spiritual gift is managing? I mean, again, it, we. You don't hear that because that wouldn't. By most people wouldn't
0: even know that's a spiritual gift. Well, Rick Warren might. <laughs> <laughs> let's not go there. <laughs> sorry, I'm 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 going through Bob DeWay's book, Redefining Christianity. Yeah, that's that's a big thing in that book. Yeah. It's, well, let's go to helping then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but you, I'm sorry. but but nevertheless, it's it's this is God breathed and managing and helping are spiritual gifts. Yeah. But are those they're, do, they're, do do they people don't look see those and they don't see that like, people would say, oh, that's supernatural even though they are, yep. because the Holy Spirit is activating that in that person. And I think that's, there's a particular reason why Paul situated those two right there, is to show, and, and as we get to chapter 14, a language that isn't translated for the body to understand isn't as good as helping or managing, because the church is not being built up. And he puts that there here, kind of probably as a little bit of a, an admonition, that these are the things, helping and managing. Yeah, men don't see these things as great and, and full of splendor, but the Lord does. Yeah. Because, as we're going to see in, in chapter 13, because they exhibit love. Mm-hmm. And thus love is the primary uh, root that needs to be underneath all spiritual gifts. Seeking that, what is the good of the other. That is what a, a spiritual gift by definition is one using their gift for the benefit of all, for the benefit of the other. Now, that doesn't mean that a spiritual gift can't have any benefit for the the person himself. It certainly does. But the main goal of a spiritual gift is for that believer to be used by God to bless the other, to build up the other, to uh, encourage the other. That is the primary nature of spiritual gifts. And thus, that's why this is important that we're going through 12 and 13. And let's just... Start with the beginning of, of 13, because there's a misunderstanding here, I think, that we'll want to address. If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I'm a s- sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If, if I donate all my goods and feed the poor and I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Okay, so first off, people say, see he's talking about angelic languages here so what they were speaking were angelic <laughs> languages you know and and what's interesting is first off
0: yeah ho- it sounds to me more like an example from the extreme
1: it, you know. it's clearly what what this is because yeah. first you know he says um if i have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge
0: mm-hmm.
1: well who understands all mystery and all knowledge in this life no one and uh faith so you can move mountains that's speaking of just the most dynamic faith or, or one that that gives the body over, uh, in order to boast, you know, and gives all his food away, uh, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So all of these things are are taken to the nth degree. So Paul is saying, even if I had the ability to speak in the tongue of an angel, but do not have love, I am nothing. So this here doesn't even say that they were speaking in angelic languages. Right. This goes. This is poetic of Paul taking everything to the nth degree. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting to to even note that let's think of angelic language okay let's just let's just throw this out well in the bible when angels spoke did humans understand them yeah <laughs> so just go through the, the the text of the bible and see when angels came to communicate uh and speak and, and now there are parts in like daniel where the angel speaks but he doesn't understand in the sense that it isn't that he under, didn't understand the words cuz he recorded them but uh, he didn't understand the, the application, the, the how these things were going to be
0: fulfilled. The same way that if we were to start reciting high level calculus, most of right. the people listening are going to.
1: Right, I know what I, I know what those numbers are, but I don't know. Right. Yeah, if you want to start talking math, just talk algebra with me. <laughs> going to know what's going on there. So, so we see that, 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 that this is Paul taking things to the nth degree, and, and it's significant that he notes languages first off here because I think that's the primary issue he's noting. Yeah. So and not only that there were arguments about what uh, language the angels speak and most of the rabbis came to the conclusion well, they it's speak Hebrew, Hebrew. yeah <laughs> yep so so you know even if i speak the angelic language which they might have it's understood funny, it's funny cuz when i
0: hear people that think that to- tongues is babbling yep. say they're speaking in tongues it doesn't sound anything like Hebrew.
1: <laughs> yeah it's uh, there there's been some interesting uh, scientific um, uh studies on on babbling or tongue speaking in in different religions even and it's interesting yep. to look at that but that's that's not here or there. Uh, as we keep going, uh, Paul declares, "Love is uh, patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not conceited. It does not act improperly. Is not selfish. Is not provoked. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things." Regarding love, all of these things will will stop because love is greater. This isn't speaking uh, even. Uh, it says, languages will cease, as for knowledge it will come to an end. This is saying about, about, about the, the never-ending value and power of godly love. And now when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. Um, I, I, I don't think that's speaking of the canon, as a lot of people do. I think this is, this is speaking of the consummation of all things. Yeah. And then this is important, too. In eleven, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put put aside childish things. Later, in, in chapter fourteen, we're going to see Paul telling them to start thinking like adults, and that's to act in love, not be selfish. Notice, mm-hmm. notice that love is not boastful. It's not conceited. It's not selfish. So it's not selfish. Is only is seeking my good, edifying myself, building myself up. That's selfishness defined. We're going to see in chapter fourteen. Now, Paul has spoken in more general terms regarding the the issue of, of of the body of Christ and and now of love. But now he's going to take what he has taught us in twelve and thirteen and apply it specifically the, to the situation in the midst of Corinth. So, so let's proceed to to chapter fourteen. Okay. So, if we start with with fourteen, now this this is the big chapter on tongues uh, because. Uh, This is where tongue speaking as a quote-unquote practice is is spoken of, something that was going on within the the gathering of believers. Now again, let's remind ourselves that uh, there really is, biblically so far, no indication at all, in fact, there is just strong uh, evidence to the contrary, that this has nothing to do with incoherent babbling, nor does this require someone uh, all of a sudden supernaturally learning a language that they've never learned before. Or they're speaking and they don't know what they're saying, but they're actually speaking in a, a, uh, in a human language. They just don't know what they're saying. None of that is required here. Uh, again, my, con- my contention is that all has been imported into the text because of the phenomenon that developed in the 20th century regarding uh, Pentecostalism. Now, um, Paul gives an exhortation: pursue love. Okay, that builds on 13. And desire spiritual gifts, and above all, that you may prophesy. So, throughout this, Paul is going to be relating, but distinguishing between speaking in languages and prophesying. We'll see that uh, as we progress through uh, chapter fourteen. We'll, f- we'll see even at the beginning that that Paul is concerned uh, with with demonstrating the superiority of prophecy, because speaking in a long, in another language, by definition, is something that's not understood by the uh, the bulk of the community mm-hmm. so he's, he's saying above all that you may prophesy so this would be a greater gift this is that greater gift why as we go through this because prophecy is proclaiming the mighty works of God and in salvation culminating with the person and work of Jesus and this is something that edifies the church it edifies the church because they hear and they understand and this also reaches into other areas such as prayer so Paul is going to talk about this whole dynamic of speaking in tongues. So let's reconstruct probably what was going on in Corinth. Uh, within the uh, the body of believers, there were people that were getting up and were giving discourses or were praying in a tongue. Let's just say they were praying in Latin. And the, the majority of the people in the congregation were looking around and having no idea what was being said. Mm-hmm. And this started to become a problem because... It was something of disorder. Now, if you've ever been around people that that you have absolutely no way to communicate with, uh, or or understand what they're saying, uh, it is it's, it's extremely frustrating. and You feel yeah. very much like a foreigner. You, I mean, oh yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, there's a distance there, and and that's not healthy for the yeah. church. It's not healthy. Now, it's it's a it's a good problem though. It, Paul doesn't want us to think that this is oh this is evil. This is there's, because it's, it's a beautiful thing that there are people from different languages that are believers and are proclaiming the mighty acts of God and salvation, praying to the God of Israel. Because this is the promise, this is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. So, Paul's not going to forbid speaking in tongues, right. speaking in other languages, because this is uh, this is part of the kingdom. Christ has purchased a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. So we see the person who speaks in in chapter in verse 2, chapter 14, the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men but to God, since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. So here we see the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men but, but to God. So he's just basically saying there, no one else understands him, so it's just he, himself and God. And that's not fitting for a, a gathering of believers. And uh, also, it says he speaks mysteries in the spirit. And there's a um, translation issue there because the Greek word noima, they didn't have capital. I mean, they didn't use capitals in ancient Koine Greek, uh, and so spirit uh, would have been just noima. Mm-hmm. And it could context needs to determine whether this is the Holy oh, Spirit, S- the Holy Spirit, or now it's capitalized here. But uh, I tend to think in the Holman Christian Standard, but I tend to think it, he speaks mysteries in His Spirit. So mysteries that other people can't understand. That's what's going on. Mysteries. A mystery is, is something that's veiled. Yep. Uh, and we'll see that this is not a, a mystery that he's not understanding uh, because we'll see later Paul starts unpacking this and we, we're given indications that indeed this person knows what they're saying. So but in verse 3 we see the elevation of prophecy, but the person who prophesies, that's intelligible speech, proclaiming the, the, the person and work of Christ speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. So prophecy brings about encouragement, edification, and consolation. So again, this is acting in love. You're looking for the good of the other. If you're speaking in a foreign tongue and no one is understanding you, you're not acting in love. In in verse 4, the person who speaks in another language builds himself up. Now, a lot of people, if you just jump into that verse and see build build yourself up, uh You might think, "Oh uh uh the person who speaks another language builds himself up. you might think, oh well, that's a good thing you know you're building you're, you're, you're build in a culture up. of yep. self esteem yep. so. and you're building yourself up uh you' you're you're, yeah. you're edifying yourself that 's a good thing paul 's flow here uh yeah. we 've seen that it's it 's for the other, yeah. taking concern for the other that 's what all this the chapter thirteen was about love is not selfish it's uh, it's it's looking to ultimately." Do good to the other. That's what love is—is—is is, is to to build up, to edify, to to encourage and consolation. The person who speaks another language builds himself up. That would have been a not to mention the ancient culture. This would have been seen as, as, as certainly not hospitable or, or or seeking after the good of the other, even within the realm of of common courtesy. Yeah, you know, think if you you go into someone's house and and all they want to do is talk in another language, you see that. Well, yeah, you, I
0: mean, I look back. I, two years ago, I spent most of the month of May in uh, Germany and we've got German friends there. They're not Christian, as you and I would consider Christian. Right. But um they're friends of ours and we travel around and we'd spend time with family and whatnot and and I was the only one that did not speak German. Even my wife Jessica speaks some German enough to get by. I was the only one I didn't know German. Yeah. And we'd be all together, you know, conversing and stuff and people start speaking German and it is a really, really frustrating thing. Yeah, you have to no be idea. in there. It's it's almost they, I mean, he, it wasn't the intention of them, but it kind of feels like I'm being excluded yep. from this conversation. Like I'm not welcome to this part of the conversation.
1: Yep, and that's Paul's concern. Mm-hmm. Is Paul's primary concern here is ensuring that the whole church is edified, and these lesser, you know, that these lesser gifts, quote unquote, lesser gifts, aren't marginalized because they're essential.
0: Yeah,
1: and um. The reason why prophecy is is elevated here is because it's it's part of the annunciation uh, of God's word, and uh, prophecy is is something that you see, in in some sense, as the the privilege of every single Christian. So we see in chapter in verse five. Now Paul doesn't want people to misunderstand that. I, I, no, you can't speak in any other languages. Learn Greek, and that's it. Yeah. He says, "I wish all of you spoke in other languages, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks language, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up." So we're going to see here that it's it's almost like speaking in tongues is useless in the church in a in a church body setting. Speaking in another language is useless unless it's translated, because no one understands.
0: Yeah,
1: and edification comes through under this is. A, an aspect regarding the Word of God, edification comes through understanding the Word of God, understanding what the Word says so that we know, and then we can live, know what the will of God is, and live by faith in acting upon such. So he says very clearly the person who prophesies is greater, desire the greater gifts. The greater gifts are the ones that uh, edify the church. So unless he interprets so the church may be built, be built up. Now, he interprets, there's some difficulty as far as interpretation, or rather translation goes here, because the issue is, is unless he interprets, well, is he going to be able to interpret his own tongue? Which, you know, some people may do if, if you know both.
0: What's the point? But,
1: you know, what's the point? It could be unless uh, he is interpreted or he is translated so that the church yeah. may be built up. And we'll see that later, too, as we get there, because Paul gives more exhortations. So Paul says, But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in other languages, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even inanimate things that produce sound, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and all have meaning." Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So you also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. So it's very clear. Paul's, Paul takes it like if there was a particular sound that a, that a, that a, that a horn, that a trumpet would make, that would, that people would reckon, oh, you know, battle or prepare for battle. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't make a distinct sound, people aren't going to recognize it. It's, what's that? You know, In the same way with our, t- with our tongue, if, if we don't understand what's coming out of the other person's mouth, uh, how, he says it very clearly, how am I going to be of any benefit to you? So uh, he says, if, if you're just speaking in another language and no one understands you, you're just speaking into the air. So all, you know, he says, there are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world and all have meaning. Therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker. And so we see that uh, issue right here that all these languages have meaning. They all have substance behind their words. Mm -hmm. So to seek to excel in the building up the churches, they need to solve this issue of other languages being spoken without it being translated for the whole church to be built up. So, with verse thirteen, we see. Therefore, the person who speaks in another language should pray that he can interpret. And again, the way the Greek is, is here, it's, it's much shorter, and there's been a lot of English words added here to try to make it make sense. And that's one of the issues with translation: is if you would just read these words in Greek, you'd see that uh, Greek is a much more a language with much more brevity mm. to it. So it really it's more the, dense. Yeah. It, well, it's dense, and there's, it's bre- there's there's not a lot of you know for you know a lot of these things are are implied. Within and if you were just to transliterate the words, it wouldn't look or read right. I mean, that's part of the issue of why we need to pray for translation. Is that in the hall of the Holy Spirit is active in that. Um, That's the other thing about the gift of interpretation. Is now that because you're a bridge between what this person has said to the to the hearers, pray that the Holy Spirit gives you the wisdom and the ability to properly. Take the meaning of those words and and translate them into the tongue uh that is 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 honoring to god and, uh, and I know I've talked to several translators on how that's a in, you know it's an issue it's it's something that is fearful mm-hmm. you know we'll get to my Thailand trip in a bit because, because that was something that yeah. really was uh was in Thailand a couple months ago and and these dynamics were all at work at my in my in my uh ministry work in in Thailand, so as we keep going here uh and here we here we have I think this is the main section where people are thinking this is talking about, you know, babbling that the speaker doesn't even know what they're saying. Yeah. For if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. I'll keep reading and then we'll uh, comment on it. What then? I will pray with the spirit, I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with the spirit, I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, how will the uninformed person say amen at your giving of thanks? since he does not know what you are saying. For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. Okay, first off, for if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, most people have read this as my spirit prays, but my, under, my, my understanding, understanding there can also mean mind. My mm-hmm. mind or my understanding is, is unfruitful, or my mind isn't understanding. We almost take the prefix there I don't know, on, what, I, I I don't, don't know what I'm praying. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, you know, I I don't know what I'm praying. But the problem is, is the the Greek term for unfruitful there means unproductive, and given the context here, it's not declaring what the mind is receiving, but what it is producing. What one's understanding is producing. And if we follow the context here, we see that Paul is saying, if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is not bearing fruit and not bearing fruit or being unfruitful throughout the new testament is always negative it's not good and thus if you're unproductive or unfruitful in this context you're not building up the other sure you may be praying and and Paul further explains this you may be giving thanks and that's a clue there the person knows he's giving thanks you may be giving thanks so the person is expressing words with content you may be giving thanks yeah. Well enough, but the other person does not know what you're saying. You do, and that's the other thing. Is is a lot of people have, have This is Paul's just poetic way of showing the the inner seat of the person and then the understanding that w- of which can be shared. Um, so that's the spirit and mind. Spirit and mind. It's a poetic way of of, of Paul. You know, showing uh, how one person can be expressing something with, with the seat of the person, the spirit, but yeah. the mind is, is something that. Uh, may need to be translated or communicated by the way spirit does know earlier in first corinthians paul says who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit within that person so earlier in first corinthians paul says that the person's spirit knows their thoughts so uh it's not that the person doesn't know what's going the spirit is is, is the thoughtless part of the person uh no it's a, it's a the spirit is still a rational aspect of uh of of our being so Paul says, what then? Okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to pray with the Spirit, but also pray with my understanding. Sing with the Spirit and also sing with my understanding. So we see either proclaiming something or praying or singing. If you're doing these things within... Now remember, this is within the context of the uh, of the church. If you're doing these things and they're not being translated, the uninformed person can't say amen at your giving of thanks because they don't know that you're giving thanks. Thus, the problem is, is yeah, you may be giving thanks, that's fine, but the other person is not be being, being built up. Therefore, you need to pay attention to what the dynamics of the congregation are. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so important because he says I, Paul then says, I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you, or that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And so, well, see, Paul was a tongue speaker. That's what, you know. Yes, he was. We know yeah. that. Yeah. He spoke Greek, he Hebrew. and we know he spoke Hebrew and Aramaic, yeah. uh, and maybe more. And we know that that was utilized. Paul can thank God for that because that gives him a platform to communicate with more people and spread the gospel to more people. And we see that throughout the book of Acts. He went to both Jews and Greeks and was able to talk their language. He was not a barbarian or foreigner to them. So that's why he can thank God. But he if I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also, meaning with my mind, making sure they understand my thoughts then 10,000 words in another language. So it, the, the the dynamic here is speaking in, a, in, a, in another language is not of any value to the other person if they don't understand you. So we continue, and Paul now speaks of the issue of, of being mature in their thinking. Brothers, don't be childish in your thinking. Be infants in regards to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to these people by... People of other languages, and by lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me. So there, Paul gives the sign back from Isaiah twenty-eight. So he says it follows then, in verse twenty-two, that speaking in other languages, and now this isn't just the general, you know, because everybody spoke in different languages since Babel. This is the proclamation of the gospel in other languages, the proclamation of God's means of salvation. In other languages, this is going forth in Greek, in Aramaic, in Latin, uh, and, and in other languages, as we've seen in the last 2,000 years, this is a sign. It's a tentative sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. So this is, in, in, in the particular context here, this is a sign to unbelieving Israel. Because that's what Isaiah 28 is about, that this sign demonstrates that the Lord has taken his, uh, his salvation to the ends of the earth, fulfilling his promise to Abraham, of which is for the Jew first, but also for the Gentiles, mm-hmm. so we we see that, and then we see prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for for believers. So prophecy is the issue of being built up. The dynamics of prophecy that Paul is stressing here is we see in in verse three rather. prophesy speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation.
0: Yeah, you know. So we I, see. I like that when you can go back just a few yeah. paragraphs and let the scripture interpret the scripture.
1: Yeah, and that that's why. For those of you that, that can't see through through the information superhighway, what I did is I, I printed off uh, on one side all of Chapter 12 and 13 to have in front of us yeah. and then on the back side all of Chapter 14. And, and it,
0: Someday I might. I, I'm actually videotaping this particular episode and, uh, just as an experiment. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it might make its way to YouTube someday. I did not dress for it, so
1: <laughs> he popped that on me when I showed up. <laughs>
0: Sorry um, about that. That's okay. You're a board member. You gotta be ready for anything, right? <laughs> all right. <laughs>
1: well, there's no, uh, there's no pride here. In the look, so, so in 23, Paul now is going to give now some concluding exhortations. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other languages, and all all people who are uninformed or unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or unconfirmed person comes in, he is convicted by all and is judged by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result he will fall face down and worship God proclaiming God is really among you. So these are two examples. These aren't promises of every time this is seen that this is going to be the case but these are mm-hmm. two examples that Paul gives. As people come in and everybody's speaking a different language it's just going to look like chaos. And people say these people are bonkers. They're out of their minds. Let's leave. It says "If if all are prophesying and again... Speaking in, in, in another language, the, the glories of God, and then it's being translated. That, in, in essence, then becomes prophecy. That's what we see back in, in verse 5. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in, in languages, unless he interprets so the church may be built up. So ed, prophecy edifies, so a translated language is going to edify. So uh, we see in, in they're prophesying the words of God are going forth. And that since the word of God is going forth and he understands the, the word, the Holy Spirit can use that for conviction and falling down to, to worship God, which certainly has happened yeah. uh, many times on the scene of human history. Then Paul gives us the conclusion. What then is the conclusion? Whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, another language, or an interpretation. We know this person's coming up and they're going to speak in another language. This is you know, considered they have a tongue, they're going to speak in another language. All things must be done for edification. If all things are going to be done for edification, there needs to be someone who can interpret, who has the ability to interpret. If any person speaks in another language, there should be only two at the most, three each in turn, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, that person should keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Here's another thing. Before the person speaks, it is known whether or not someone is there that has the ability to translate. So this isn't like, I'm just going to go forth and babble, and then someone's like, oh, that's, I do, I know that. No, already, which we see, someone, and in, in, in my context, is probably a good place for me to maybe talk about my, my Thailand trip. Yeah, I went to uh, uh, Thailand a couple months ago, and it was a, an extremely blessed time. Uh, I was able to share the gospel with many, many people, and we actually ended up, uh, to my surprise, to my joyful surprise, we ended up planting a church over there. Oh, wow. And that was what's not expected. I was I was going over there just to speak at a conference, and uh, it was a, a joyful adventure. But uh, most people over there uh, didn't, do not speak English. In yeah. fact, um, the majority of the time I was speaking to the Thai people, I yeah. had to have a translator there. So this passage was very pertinent to my trip because I knew that unless I have a translator here, I can't be going around preaching to someone. Because it's for, it really is, it's, it's forbidden yeah. to, to proclaim or to, to share if there is no translator there. Now, in, in every place that, where, that I was, um, if I was going to do that, I knew if there was a translator there that was suited to do it. And so I had three or four people that would translate for me through my trip there. But before I began to speak to the assembly, I knew if there was someone there that was going to be able to translate my words into the common tongue. Mm-hmm. but in this gathering, if there wasn't, and there were times where I had the opportunity to to speak the words of God in English to people, but they wouldn't have understood what I was saying. Mm-hmm. So according to the scriptures, hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. So we see there if any person speaks another language, it should be uh, only two or at the most three each in turn. But if there's no interpreter, that person should keep silent and speak to himself and God. So basically... Well, the person can between him and God announce in the time of prayer he can sing to God in his in his own tongue, but it's not to be shared with the congregation because people are just if that's just going to turn into chaos as we'll see yeah two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate uh, but if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent that's regarding prophecy for you all can prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn, and everyone may be encouraged that's love, and the prophet spirit are under the control of the prophets since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. So Paul's concern is everything is done in order, and that everything is done intelligibly, and that everything is done for edification. And so we see here, there, there, there's nothing here that would indicate, in fact, we see the, the reverse, that these are people that know what they're saying. This isn't babbling. By no means is this babbling, because Paul's talking about translation. And he's also talked about uh, many languages in the world, and all languages have meaning. And we also, it's not this spontaneous matter that if uh you know someone just goes up and babbles and then someone miraculously hears because we see later on that it's implied that one person can't even start to speak unless they know they have an interpreter there yeah. so all of these matters collectively taken with acts and now with what we see in first corinthians tongues are, is the speaking the proclamation of god's mighty acts in history and culminating in Jesus of Nazareth for the edification, encouragement, and consolation in the church. And these things are to be done in order. And because the church is now, a, the, the God's people are, are are called out from every tribe, nation, and tongue, it, it, you'd be, we'd be surprised not to find something like 1 Corinthians chapter 14 because of this new dynamic now of the people of God where there's all these different languages. So Paul has given us great... <laughs> Practical wisdom on how to deal with these situations, which as a minister I'm I'm dealing with quite a bit. And First Corinthians chapter fourteen gives me great guidance in how to make sure that God is honored in the midst of a of a congregation that is gathered together, and that He is not dishonored through chaos. And again, the the primary thing is is seek to love the other, and that's to, the greater gift is is prophecy, mm-hmm. because pr- uh, prophecy edifies. Uh, encourages and, and gives consolation through the Word of God.
0: Well, thanks. You know, I wanted it to, at some point to mention a short story from earlier this month. There was a, a conference held at church, and uh, you know, Todd Friel of Wretched Radio came into town and um, held this conference, having to be out at our church, Twin City Fellowship. And other speakers, well, actually, Todd didn't do a whole lot of speaking himself, but Bill Johnson was there. Bob Glenn of a Redeemer <laughs> Bible Church was there. And then uh, Milton Vincent. Uh, he's out of California somewhere was there. And and one of the first talks that they gave at the conference was, it was Phil Johnson and he talked on cessationism and he's, he's an avowed cessationist and, and and gave a very biblical good case for cessationism. And afterwards I I went and approached him and talked to him for a few minutes. And I, uh, I actually tweeted him first, but then I walked up and said, you know, if you get if you ever get a chance, I'd love for you to listen to this podcast I did with Ryan Hobbina back in December And and give me your thoughts. And I kind of gave him the gist of of what we talked about. And remembering back to December, you had talked about how you hadn't really encountered anybody who had seen it the same way that you're seeing both Acts and Corinthians now. And and so I kind of ran up past Phil Johnson, and he says, oh, that sounds like this gentleman named Bob Zerhusen. And so he gave me the name, and I I wrote it down and looked it up. And and sure enough, there's a couple of articles, and I'm going to go back to the December episode. And I didn't do, because you didn't know of anybody else who had this view, I didn't have an additional resources section like I usually put on a, a podcast, but I'm going to go back and add that. And then um, I'm also going to add the first Corinthians one. And and it's, it's very, very similar to what you've, the same conclusions that you've come to. And uh, I know f- like you read the Acts article and it's, it's a great article because not only does it say many of the same types of things, but it does so. Uh, he gets a little more in depth and he, and more into the historical context and really it's a good um, good resource in conjunction with that podcast and and I think this one will be the same way. So.
1: And actually, and what we did talk about last uh, podcast is I was working on a book and that book is actually finished. Oh, uh, it's cool. going. It, it's called Tongues Prophecy in the Gospel. Mm-hmm. So that's it's finished. It's in the process of of editing right now and it should be out by the by the end of this year. So yeah. uh, real. Pleased with the way it turned out. The way I've structured the book, it, it was going to be a booklet, but it turned into a full fledged book oh, wow. because of how much yeah. information and background that I. I was well, I don't doubt do.
0: that. I've been watching the the, the clock as we've been right. doing this podcast, and you know I like to keep it under eighty minutes so that I can get it on a CD. And right. That's not going to happen. I,
1: but you know that's that's done. And the, the way I have that set up is it's the introduction is kind of just like wrestling with how the contemporary context is really determined how things are read. And by the way, yeah. what's, what's interesting is, I didn't note this, but in that, uh, one text, um, verse 14 of chapter 14, for if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. There are translations, the New Living Translation actually translate that, for if I pray in a, another language, my spirit prays, but I don't know what I'm saying. Oh wow. That's exactly that's how it's translated there. Now we know the new living translation is a is a looser translation. Yeah. So they really try to, you know, go beyond but that that shows how number 1 that doesn't follow the Greek at all because it just says my mind bears no fruit. Wow. And so that's... I mean just to make that jump to I don't under, I don't understand what I'm saying shows you how number 1 you you as best possible you you want to cling to a good Bible translation, one that, that that really strives to be close to the original text, and mm-hmm. do some of the work you you know, and then and then compare and contrast, and even from that, even if you don't know Greek, you can start to get an idea of where there may be some issues. And uh, so, that, that's the interesting thing is getting into that and seeing how tradition has even colored the way translations are yeah. are, are are given. And um, you know, you need to peel through that you know i it's very encouraging because you know there' there's certainly always going to be negative feedback when you upset the apple cart of tradition, yeah, but the positive feedback i you know i've I've been sharing this not only through podcasts but i've also i also taught, taught a class on this last year and and I've shared it through through different venues and uh, actually I got word from someone across the pond that had listened to your, your first one. Uh-huh. And they were coming out of Pentecostalism and they were so much
0: appreciated how it freed it, them. It was a very popular episode. I and mean, a lot of people are looking forward to this one coming out. Well, I hope I didn't I've let it out. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've been asked uh, by multiple people, you know, when are you coming out with that one? I want to hear that. You know, they, they really liked it. and They really appreciated yeah. your take on, on and and, on ads, and, and, I and I do
1: think that, again, this is just more. I, From how I can see it, trying to be as clear from presuppositions and and pride as I can, it's never totally possible. But there's consistency here. There's there's nothing here where I really feel like, oh, I'm really stretching it there. And that's the thing is, is the Word of God is very clear and consistent. And, you know, this gentleman that wrote these two articles. And I'm sure he's not the only one that that's come across right. this because again, yeah. when you get into the historical context, people can come to it independently yeah, and demonstrate. And that's,
0: no, I want to be fair to Phil Johnson. You know, he pointed me to the articles right. and was, was very helpful, but he did mention that he didn't particularly agree. Right with it himself. no and i well uh, and, I, and i didn't want to give the impression that he did oh i'm sure he, but he, it was very helpful to both listen to his sermon and to have him well share the, that the interesting
1: thing about uh cessationists properly understood cessationist uh meaning that especially in regards to tongues yep. is pragmatically we have the same perspective yeah because they would just say it ceased and not in operation well, again yeah and and and, 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 the, and the
0: conclusion and, i came came to my mind right away on the last one, and it's still the forefront with this one, is if your understanding of Acts of 1 Corinthians is correct, then there's nothing about cessationism in this discussion, at least not in regards to tongues. Right. No. I mean, there's if there never was this spectacular, miraculous speaking of another language right. to begin with, it never, then it never would it never have ceased. Started.
1: It never started. Something can't cease that never started. Right. right. Now, speaking in tongues in another sense has been going on over and over hundreds and thousands of times per day you know right. uh, through the last 2000 years yep. and you know because the, the word of the lord is going forth with great boldness uh and and being proclaimed through every tribe nation and tongue that's to me that's truly what speaking in tongues
0: is, yeah. is about well if i get too long then i won't be able to fit the file on the uh, server i got a 50 megabyte limit so probably should wrap up I, I thank you so much for taking the time not only in december to come and discuss this, yep. this great topic but for coming to. Oh, my tonight. pleasure. And
1: and I'll um I'll I'll send you a a notice when that when the book comes out cuz the book yeah. the book goes in way more in depth than we even do here. Yeah. And it it'll there'll be better, you know, obviously better referencing and stuff like yep. that, but we in order to keep it conversational, we didn't want to really get into some right. of the uh, nuts and and, and
0: I'll them. just like your other books, I'm sure I'll uh, work on an ebook for you yeah. and we'll put that together. I'll probably have it on the Echo Zoe store when it comes out Good um, deal. as well as the Signet Ring store, Signet Ring Ministries. But thanks for taking the time and Thanks for uh, helping me break in the new studio.
1: Oh, yeah. It looks nice. <laughs> Thanks, Yeah, Hopefully you can post a video online.
0: Well, part of it. <laughs>
1: or just a still to show the new uh, Well, it's
0: studio. nice to have it up because when I did my last month's episode... <laughs> The paint was still drying, and okay. we were dealing with the fumes. Yeah. So it's uh, so,
1: so maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe you're suffering the, uh, the residual <laughs> yeah. effects from that. Yeah. No,
0: I'm a little tired, and and you know uh, the other thing was I this episode really is emblematic of why I like doing podcasting with a guest is you got to do all the talking. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have to say much. No, no, good stuff. But thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate it. My and, pleasure. I'm yeah. sure, Lord willing,
1: I'll be back uh, sometime in the
0: Absolutely. future. Absolutely. That wraps up episode fifty. Thanks again for listening. You can find show notes and a detailed outline of the discussion, references to scriptures mentioned in the show, and additional resources, including a link to the article I mentioned by Robert Zerhusen by going to echozoe.com slash 50. Lord willing, we'll be back again next month for the July episode.